Welcome to So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank. A little concern about the movie Gross Point Blank, put together by me, Joe George, and my co-host, Blake Collier. This episode, we're looking at minute four of Gross Point Blank, in which we get a couple more important credits and a double cross and an explosion of more violence occurs. What do you what do you think of this minute, Blake? Does you, do you do you like this is my this, this is your problematic part one. gives me pause. Okay, um, this is my I, I use the word problematic too much, so I probably shouldn't say that. But tonally, this this part is a little bit weird. Okay, um, I don't think this part quite quite tracks. And okay. so, what you what do you think of this minute? Well, part of me wants you to start out with with why you don't <laughs> think this part tracks because I'm I'm fascinated to hear hear okay. what it is because because okay. I'm not necessarily going to disagree. Uh, Okay, but I'm just curious if, if it's similar reasoning. So in this minute, we're, we're we're still dealing with the aftermath of Martin Blank shooting the man on the bike, his this other assassin, and so he shoots him um, before the man on the bike can assassinate. What I'm guessing is some sort of mob boss, yeah. something like that. They they look like that. Uh, the boss's handlers, when they hear the gunshot, whip out their guns and they point around. They're standing in front of a hotel, about to exit. Um, in this minute. A man, the doorman, um, comes around the corner from a, a beam in the hotel, and or pillar rather, and we see that it is uh, Dan Aykroyd as the doorman, who we will later learn is a assassin named Grocer, takes out his guns and excessively shoots the mob boss. Yeah, yeah. And that's the part where tonally, what is this? Like, there's even when he pulls out these two pistols, and I'll let you tell me what kind of pistols mm-hmm. they are. There's this. <laughs> whoosh, whoosh, sound effect in there which it's comical and he shoots he shoots so much and Aykroyd's making this goofy face while he's doing it I mean he looks silly he's dressed as the doorman but he looks so silly and there's all of these close-ups onto the guns as he's pulling out there and it's excessive and it's excessive and the problem my problem isn't that it's excessive just because I don't like violence I love movie violence problem is what is this joke that's showing up in here where, yeah. where is that where did that come from because that's not the rest of the movie so, so what do you make of that so here's a couple of things that that I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna defend it per se but i'm gonna give you a couple of points to to, to ponder uh that happened in this in, in this shot uh first off uh it's not an excessive uh amount of bullets straight mm. through there's a pause okay there's a right. pause, and then he goes. He steps a little bit closer, and then he empties his guns. And, and yeah, so so I think there's something there. And then the other thing is 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 where where pedantry can be helpful <laughs> is knowing the <laughs> history. Right, go ahead. Knowing the history of this gun in the scope of cinema can also play into the scene as well. So this okay. is a Smith and Wesson 629. These okay. are massive guns, and he's got two of them. And okay. he's think of a movie that where the gun is maybe just as much of a character as the main character. Like, what's the first one that pops into your head? The first one that pops in my head is um, Snatch. Actually, the first gun okay. movie because okay. I watched that with Gun Nut. Yeah. But, but you know, uh, what about um, uh, what's the Kurosawa movie? Stray Dog. That, that one. Stray Dog. Missing gun. Okay. Yeah. So so those are good. Those are good picks. The one I would say would be Dirty Harry. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the same exact gun. Okay. So okay. the fact that And it's that, giant in there. Yeah, it's yeah. giant. So if you think about the Dirty Harry films, you think yeah. about this kind of machismo revenge flick. And you you think Absolutely. about Clint Eastwood, 
I think you have to tie all of that because those those are the movies that like every single one of those Dirty Harry movies. That's his gun. He yeah. he, he even talks about the gun in the films. Yeah, yeah. And so, if you think about it, Grocer is coming out with two of these, and he's just excessively blowing <laughs> this guy away. Yeah. If you, I I part of me wants to say that there might be a statement going on there. That Grocer okay. is playing the excessive violent, like he is displaying the excessive violence of cinema up to this point. Mm. And the fact okay. that that he pauses, he's already killed the guy clearly. Right. And he goes. He steps forward and he empties his guns because that's what we've come to expect from sure. movies like that. And so, I'm not going to say that it's perfectly done or that this is the only reading. But I think there might be something there that that can kind of give you maybe a, a a different perspective on on how to read that scene. I can get I can get behind a lot of that, and and there is a bit of a subversion with the fact that Dan Aykroyd is not Clint Eastwood, no, right? I mean, not. and and he's shot to yeah. look as pudgy and oafish, and mm-hmm. a, he's a proper Midwesterner, yes. and he, he looks every inch of it. He is not cool yeah. um, in that scene, as opposed to Cusack's very cool uh, uh, Martin Blank. Well, and, However, and, and, and Grocer has bought into the lie as well of his work. Let's say that again? He, Grocer has bought into the lie of his work. Like, oh, he yeah. enjoys it. Uh, whereas oh, yeah. anyone yeah. who has any kind of existential self-awareness is going to be more like Martin Blank, where they start questioning those kind of things, and and it starts taking yeah. effect on them. I think this is setting up your typical bad guy in Grocer, who does the same exact thing as Martin Blank, mm-hmm. but he enjoys it. He gets his yeah. kicks out of it. So it's yeah. it's almost a diametric opposition to our our main character. Uh, so yeah. while it's it's not a clear cut, like while Martin Blank isn't a clear cut quote unquote good guy. He's definitely better than this guy because <laughs> at least yeah. he feels something like he's yes. worn down. So, yeah, that's that, so. that's a really good reading. I like that. The the one place I'd push back on it, and I'm sure we'll talk about this before, yeah. is there is a Martin Blank, at least uh, as we see him at the start, the sort of cool, methodical hitman. You know, there, there's yeah. a tradition with that mm-hmm. uh, as well. Film tradition yeah. with that. So. I don't know that we can say that this is this is two different types of hitman mm-hmm. or, or that that one is a type of a hitman that we've seen so far in cinema and and juxtaposed against Martin because I, I think they're both types. Yeah. Um, and they're leaning into the types right yeah. there. I, I, uh, that'd be the only part I I push back on that. The rest of that. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, what in, Grocer in, a- yeah. absolutely is the bad guy and he's set and he's up big. And, he's overblown for the film. Yeah. Like we've talked about already. Like, yeah, I, I, I feel like. I feel like a lot of the problems with that scene, and I and I do think there is some tonal issues there. I, I definitely yeah. agree with you on that. Um, but I think all the problems end up being with how Dan Aykroyd plays that character. Yeah. Because everything is over the top. Like, yeah. everything in this film that he does is over the top. And so, I, I can definitely see your point. I'm, I definitely don't disagree with it. But I but I could see a potential reading of it that, that would give some credence to maybe... Hopefully, an intentional meaning right. that's placed into the film. Right. So, so yeah, that was the part that that irked me. Like yeah. I said, most yeah. of, most of Aykroyd's performance I like. Yeah. There was just something about that, but yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so take us to the credits because I know that's 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 your so so more titles are popping up. Yeah, more uh, titles. We're getting so, to the last couple. 
mm-hmm. um, in this bit. So we get uh, Tom Jankowitz, which he is the guy who wrote the story, the original screenplay. Yeah. He is a Sterling Heights native. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he he had written like he was at the time that he was writing this he was he was like a manager at the big lots or something like that okay and and it, he was just looking at, like he needed to get, express himself and so he started writing this story about he had gotten his own uh in, invitation to his high school reunion and he had no interest in going so he decided to write something where where he would make his character go to it instead of himself <laughs> and so <laughs> Uh, he was like, how could I make that concept really weird or really fascinating? Mm-hmm. And, and he came up with the, the idea of the hitman. That's um, great. Because he thought there would just be a lot of drama and, and comedy that could be drawn out of it. And, and he was right. And so he wrote the screenplay. We also see on the titles that we, we see D.V. Davison to the, uh, Stephen Pink and John Cusack mm-hmm. are the mm-hmm. screenplay writers, um, mm-hmm. along with Jenkowitz. Mm-hmm. And they took Jenkowitz's script and reworked it, kind of changed a pretty significant amount of it around. And then kind of without credit, Armitage himself, the director, who we find later on in the in, in this minute as as the director, he took the script from like 134 pages to 102 pages or something like that. He yeah. he basically cut the script down and they basically shot three three versions of the film. Where mm-hmm. one where everyone is underselling, one that's mm-hmm. just a straightforward kind of right off script, and then the over the top version. Uh, mm. And he said we ended up using more of the over top than we initially expected to use. Yeah, uh, which we could, which I could see how maybe a little bit too much of the over the top uh, grosser scenes could have yeah slipped in. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so yeah, so Jankowitz is is fascinating because this is really his his only claim to fame like he he yeah. had written a few spec scripts uh one about called kung fu theater uh that eventually that originally what he says was a combination of enter the dragon and pleasantville which okay i actually kind of would have liked to have seen that um I, that sounds yeah that's a great pitch <laughs> but uh it was picked up by dreamworks and originally had a marlon waynes and jamie fox tied to it but it never got okay. made and okay. I hear those names, and I'm like, eh, not so I, sure. I like, I like Jamie Foxx, all right. I, 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 Jamie Foxx, Wayans, less less so, but <laughs> I, I I like Jamie Foxx. I don't like his his uh, choice in films. <laughs> that's that's a really good way. To put it. Yeah, yeah. Marlon Wayans is can be funny if he's if he's controlled. <laughs> yeah, and how he yeah. how he approaches his humor. Um. So yeah, he. He was working on a on a novel at the time that he died in 2013. Uh, the death, fascinatingly enough, was was on January 23rd of 2013. He was attending a screening of the of Gross Point Blank actually mm. uh, at California State University, San Bernardino, uh, at the invitation of James C. Kaufman, who was a psychology professor at the school, and he was teaching a class called Psychology in the Movies, and. Mm. During the question and answer session after the the viewing of the film, he collapsed oh, on stage, crap. and he was rushed to the hospital in San Bernardino, uh, and he was pronounced dead at ten fifty one p.m. at age of forty nine. Um, Man, and so just the fact that he, I mean, anyone who was at that screening, I mean, that would have been traumatizing, and to yeah. know how it like to to know that he passed because of it, it'd be one thing if yeah. he recovered and and everything was fine, but man, yeah, it's. 
and and this speaking from someone who had a uh back in high school i had a band teacher collapse right beside me from uh, aneurysm holy he, but crap he, but he survived that rarely happens when you have an aneurysm oh, man so i i know how traumatizing that can be seeing someone yeah. just collapse in the middle of a public place so yeah jankowitz is wow. a fascinating character and I'm, I, we're hoping that we can get a get an interview with his his brother at some point to talk about yeah what's going on there but yeah that he's really i mean at the end of the day if if there was no tom jankowitz there's no gross point blank yeah uh, he's the guy he's the one yeah. who came up with the idea so <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you know much about the difference what this pre what the script was like not a whole lot not a whole lot yeah there's because he was fairly fairly new like there was just it's your typical kind of first time screenwriting uh, issues yeah like you're you're still trying to figure out the, the form and and the yeah and yeah. the habits of a good screenwriter yeah and so there's there's elements of it that maybe <laughs> there was too much exposition going on it just needed a it needed to be worked on so it could be on a screen that all the concepts yeah. were there like all the ideas that we we love about the film are present in the script okay but really i mean it just it needed to be transferred to a visual medium because okay he, i think he was more of a not you know a kind of a novelist sure. style writer i i've tried to write a screenplay myself and it's you know, <laughs> it's hard as all get out i just don't i don't i don't think visually so yeah um and i think that's that that was the biggest problem is that he just didn't have a visual mm. eye and so whenever you had you know cusack pink and and the rest uh they they had history with film and, and they yeah. they knew what worked and what didn't on the screen so <clears throat> But but I think all of the actual ideas and all the concepts are still there. I mean, it's he just had to be transferred to a more uh, film friendly uh, format. Yeah, it it's tempting, and I, I I find myself falling into this a lot. It's tempting to because this movie has so many subversions in it, and because it is unique, it, it's it's unique in a subgenre that was exploding at the time, right? That mm-hmm. these sort of black comedies about criminals and darker things that that since um reservoir dogs just that became like a cottage industry and uh or a huge subgenre you know you go to your blockbusters your hollywood videos or something like that and there'd be huge wall of of movies like suicide kings or what was Mm -hmm. the one like eat heads in a duffel bag or very very bad things very bad things Yeah. yeah 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 exactly these sort of dark comedies and they are, at least in my opinion, they're kind of tiresome yeah. and um, real dime a dozen. Well, yep. It's it's not even – and unfortunately, as somebody who was coming of age as a film buff in the late 90s and is also a straight white male, I went through a period of like, this is real cinema. Yeah. You know, I, I showed too many people way of the gun and oh, tried to explain so... to them why – so I'm I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna I'm always no. I'm always gonna stand for Way of the Gun. I I enjoy that movie. No, <laughs> it's not okay. good. I, I I will tell you it's not good, but but I do enjoy it. <laughs> you know what? That's that's fine because I will still I I uh, I will still have a soft spot in my heart for Guy Ritchie movies from even yeah. though the or you know any. Well, I just saw Aladdin, so well, he, that's he, killing my guy. He made one of the greatest TV ad- adaptations of all time, Man from Uncle. 
I, you know what? I'm not as high a man from Uncle really? as a lot of people are. See, I, love it's, that it's, I liked it, but I think it was I think it was oversold to me a really? little bit. I think if I went in yeah. a little bit, well, you know, a lot of people like you were telling me, yep. you know, telling me or a lot of people tell me exactly what you just told me. That's it's really great. And so yeah. Yeah. I went into it expecting really great. And I think if you went into it not expecting much and it, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, my point being, I will I will defend Snatch and Lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and those probably aren't as you should. Great. Really? Yeah. Okay. So are you, are you all in on, on nineties, uh, no, I, black so, comedy action so, movies? so, so I have a, I have just like you, I have a complicated relationship with them. I don't find them necessarily to be good, Yeah. but I'm also not going to turn my nose up at them as a, as a something, as a period of, of, of film history that I grew up. It's, they're the reason I became a film buff. It's, sure. it's not it's not Bergman. It's not any of those people. Like the reason I started liking films was exactly those films. And so while I don't necessarily like now that my expansion of knowledge around film is, is much bigger than it was and other films hit the spot and those don't anymore. Um, right. There's still a key element of those films that, that still hooked me like that are still yeah. quote unquote good. They're yeah. well made they're, they're you know, and, and so it's. It, it, it's a complicated relationship it's 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 that sure. it's that tie like where do i where is nostalgia you know how far does nostalgia go and then where far does the critical impulse in me go and so where do those meet yeah and and so i can i can watch all of those films and appreciate them yeah while still maintaining that critically they're not good like they're yeah and i think you can have both <laughs> i haven't figured you out can. how to do that like to write about it <laughs> <laughs> right so no i understand i feel the yeah. same way about the movie three ninjas so uh oh yeah that's... three ninjas was awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so yeah i'm a little bit more harsh i think on this on this genre of movie and yeah. i guess it's part of in a, in a perverse way why i like gross point blank so much is that it's not one of those yeah. it is there is real humanity below it's cool mm-hmm. and so i'm tempted to to assume that the original Jankowitz, I mean, assume, and that yeah. I should underscore that with having no knowledge. And I think you've, you've troubled my assumption here. Uh, <laughs> assume that the Jankowitz script is, is the, um, the cool, nineties uh, action movie. Yeah. And then when the other guys came in, they added the, the depth to that, but that's, so, that's probably not the case, huh? So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to really pick up on because I, I would say that, that definitely Cusack and the rest brought, some of the the coolness to the script sure i i think they they spiced it up a little bit and they 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 amplified the the elements of of jenkowitz's story that fit their fit their persona as a as a theater troupe mm-hmm. that could be improv that could be uh kind of worked with and then they probably lessened elements other elements that maybe jenkowitz thought were interesting but ultimately mm-hmm. wouldn't be very beneficial to a screen adaptation yeah i think it's the interplay like i i think there are elements sure. in jankowitz that that really do play into the cool kind of uh meaningful elements of it and then i think there are moments where his his approach to it did either was tonally off with those other moments or mm-hmm. just didn't quite he was going off on tangents that that didn't quite need to be in in the story that would have that would have confused the main thrust of, of the mm-hmm. tone. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was a, I think it was a, I would say it's a pretty nice interplay 
uh, between between yeah. the, the original script and, and and what we end up seeing on the screen. Okay, so it's not. I, I, I would <clears throat> I would be I'd be remiss to say that there is a clear cut way to describe it. Okay. You probably yeah that's I mean I probably should have known that going into it that it's never quite so <laughs> <Yeah>. simple as, <laughs> as as I want it to be so Tour that it was um, so simple <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so Tom Jankowitz is a, is a pretty pretty key name in 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 this film for sure and then you you know of course Pink Cusack Davis Sintas, mm-hmm. um you see some of the producers and then you get George Armitage as the director so. Those are the end of yeah. the, the the film titles in the fourth minute. Yeah, so. and the end of that scene, and yeah. then we get the, you know, it doesn't they they don't plan these movies according to our minute by minute analysis. No, so they don't. we get a little bit of the start of the second scene, which opens with Marcella saying that she was on the phone with a very dissatisfied customer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so as we're going to learn, uh, uh, Cusack was hired to kill the man in the uh, on the bike, or Martin Blank rather was hired to kill the man on the bike uh, in order to save the mob boss else hired a second assassin uh, grocer to kill the mob boss nonetheless. And so what I think is interesting about this is that it, it establishes sort of the business aspect of blank's job, right? Yep. Dissatisfied customer, you know, and in a little bit there, he's, you know, or in this one, he's going to be, you know, why is that my problem? I was paid to do this, you know. I was paid to do one um, job, not two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's this, it, it goes back with what we've been talking about, but the, the way that Blank disassociates himself from the reality, the human reality of what he's doing is to speak in business terms, even about something as inhumane as this. Yeah. Um, you know, which is how most people deal with inhumanity is by saying it's just business. And there's something so I don't, I don't read it as a joke um, when they get to there. It it is a critique at that point. It it makes me chuckle uh, because Joan Cusack's line delivery is great. Yeah. yeah, Go ahead. Well, and, and, and so a few years back I I wrote a random 10 page paper on this movie just for the (laughs) hell of it. And yeah. I end up having a interaction with John Cusack on direct message on Twitter. And this is what he says is, and I think this fits with what you were bringing up about this scene yeah. specifically. He said, basically the film is about the difference between self-perception and reality and always bridging gap between political and social language and meaning. And then he says, mm-hmm. people think what they do, what their behavior is, is different than who they are. Uh, America is peaceful, mm-hmm. benevolent, etc." But language has no meaning mm-hmm. because, you know, there is plenty of history that shows that America is um, at least complicated that 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 idea. And so, oh, yeah, um, like you were saying, with the business side of this, like we're because he keeps saying all these lines to kind of detach himself from his actions. Yeah. He's saying, I'm just doing business. It's not personal. Yeah. But it is. It's always personal. Yeah. Like, yeah and so, yeah, um, yes. <laughs> and so yeah it's it's that it's that once again we get a really interesting dichotomy there and it's because yeah. of the, the the political aspects and the political crit- critique that that cusack and pink and and david Sintas are bringing into the story um and i, I have no I, I don't know where jankowitz stood on the political side of things yeah. I, I would imagine like most uh in hollywood he was probably more liberal at least yeah um but um I think the critique is very much present at 
as early as this part where we're looking at the machinery of war the machinery of which is a common thread through a lot of cusack's films and so yes it is because that's what he's fascinated by i, I remember at the time when we were in in iraq uh and we had the blackwater um the paramilitary mm-hmm. uh company man mm-hmm. every day his twitter account it was all talking about blackwater and how this is something we should be you know watching out for because this is business turned corporate war um yeah like literal war not just you know mm-hmm. business like trying to take over other businesses and whatnot this is actually yeah a side paramilitary uh that is yeah. playing into and funny thing is is the guy who started blackwater is very much tied to trump currently and so oh yes yeah so it's it's, it's a North Carolina-based company, yeah. um, so there's a lot of people around there with me. And a uh, quick personal sidebar, I drove uh, to a couple years ago. Um, uh, it was back in Michigan with my with my kids, and I wanted to take them by uh, the house that I grew up in, and specifically the woods where I would play and uh, play Army back there. So I drive them uh, past the house, and, and this house is right up against the woods. There's nothing back there, and we used mm-hmm. to play back there. They're fenced off towards right at the end of my old house with signs there saying, warning, do not enter, active military ac- exercises, Blackwater Corporation. Oh, goodness. So the, the place where I used to play Army as a kid, now other people are playing Army, and you know, preparing to kill real people. So, Jeez. yeah, no, I know Blackwater. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and did you know that the uh, guy who started it was Betsy DeVos's brother? Yes, I did. Um, Classic. One of these days, this was an appropriate place to go on it. I'll yeah. have to tell you about my my weird um, disconnect with the DeVosses because I grew uh, okay. up in Southwest Michigan. Gotcha. Uh, the DeVosses are based in Grand Rapids, uh, oh, which okay. is the biggest yeah, city yeah. in Southwest Michigan. And if you were a Christian conservative, especially if you were a Christian conservative who was homeschooled mm-hmm. in Southwest Michigan, yep. like I was, the DeVosses were saints. Oh, wow. uh, youth group, uh, we would you know, go work for Bethany Christian Services, which is their uh, adoption nice. program, which they now currently use to relocate children that were taken at the border. So I still have this weird disconnect from being taught as a child that the DeVosses are good Christian people yeah. that emulate and, oh no, they're moronic Nazis actually <laughs> yeah. is what they are. So yeah. anyway, you know, we can, we can cut all that stuff out. Oh no, but, uh, we, that's, aren't. That's, we aren't going to cut any of it. <laughs> you know, this no is probably the most politics I'm going to get out of you. So. <laughs> okay. No, you'll get more. Oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. doesn't take much to push. I'm trying to be good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, uh, so this scene uh, uh, ends then with uh, uh, Grocer and and Blank coming face to face. Right. They do and... the little bit where uh, um, she patches uh, Gro- Marcel. Just through. Uh, Blank pretends that he's in Budapest. Uh, they oh, have this... the city cathedrals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what is just Aykroyd's just line reading for all this? Stuff. Ah, Martin. The voice that he does there. And he is just oh, yeah, 300%. Percent. Kid. <laughs> yeah. And all the kid. He's saying kid. Yeah. And so he pulls up, and the, the scene ends with them meeting right outside yeah. of there yeah what's is Aykroyd working for you here well so it's it's so seeing this movie as many times as I have and then having the history I have with it it's it's hard to divest myself and look at it critically yeah. 
because I just yeah. know those lines so well. And part of that is <laughs> it, part of it is just the color of the film. Like, yeah, like, yes, yes. Dan Aykroyd is just overblown compared to everyone else in this film. <laughs> but yeah. he's he's so entangled with the film now that I'm just like, I can't say that I, I hate it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> um, even though he is in a completely different film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and, and there's an element of it where he's, you know, he's playing against the, the, the kind of, I guess, underselling John Cusack and Martin's role. Yeah. And I guess like on a very visceral level like there's that that subtle or that that none too subtle distinction between characters is pleasing just to see the underselling and then the over the top uh, yeah side by side and the writing and the the, the banter between the two is brilliant it's, like, so, it's so good, good. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, we'll get into next minute where the, the two of them are actually playing off of one another and i think it's actually fantastic yes. how how all this happens but it's for this, just looking at this as its own minute, like Ackroyd comes crashing into the scene <laughs> yeah, almost literally. Yeah. Like he's, he, he's coming, they're talking on, on cell phones and his car just kind of comes out of nowhere like and a cloud of dust. going really fast. <laughs> What's that? Cloud of dust. <laughs> cloud of dust. Yeah. yeah. And the, 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 the crunch of, uh, him driving his way up in the soundtrack. Like it, 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 he comes out from the right side of the screen, but it just feels like, you know, a left field, like all of a sudden yeah. Dan Aykroyd's in this scene and yep. it's, it's, it's jarring, but I'm, I'm like you, I've kind of come around to kind of love it. Yeah. So, so did you notice that the, the, the two cars are exactly the same? No, I didn't. Yeah. yeah so, so they're both 95 Lincoln town cars, unless you, <laughs> you look at some comments on the pedantry sites, then they are like, no, that's clearly a 96 special edition lincoln town car oh, so which one's driving the special edition and who's driving the uh some of the people think that martin's actually driving the special edition but let's just call it a 95 lincoln town car it's much easier that way okay. so that's okay. that's what they have on the official website and they haven't changed it even no matter how many comments they get so okay. clearly whoever's running that side if they are still running it which who knows um <laughs> then they do not care whether they are getting pushback or not so but yes they are the same car which which is fascinating if you think about the the what we were talking about with the disconnect between those two characters and yet they're doing the same yeah. job and they've got the same car and they're a part of the same world and yeah and so that's a nice little visual trick to tie yeah. them together so that's really great yeah that's really great so i think that's that's it for me we have anything else to say no. for this minute in part because I'm excited to get to the next one. Yes, uh, same here. I, I think this is a unique scene in the movie, and and it's a lot of fun. So, and it's also going to build on stuff we've we've introduced in this one too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not good at not bleeding minute yeah, to minute. At exactly. least I'm not. Sweet. All right, that's all for so gross. Such point, much blank. We have been your hosts, Blake Collier and Joe George. If you like what you hear, then head over to iTunes, send us up. Next month, we'll get into minute four, in which there's a dance between, uh, literally and figuratively, between Martin Blank and Grocer. Uh, subscribe to our show so you don't miss that episode or any other. And remember, this podcast is us breathing. Thank you for listening. If you like what we do, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. 
Every bit of feedback gives us the ability to expand our audience. Our podcast theme was created by Yawns. You can find his music and other projects at yawnsofficial.com. Our podcast outro music was created by Jeff Hansen. Our podcast artwork was created by Jeff Warwick. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sogrosspod. Remember, that's gross with an E. And on Twitter and Instagram at sogrosspod as well. And you can find Blake on Twitter at Lost in Osmosis and Joe at J.A. George II, spelled I-I. <laughs> bing, 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 bang. Popcorn. Yeah, whatever. <laughs>